welcome back to another episode of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Valentino Stoll. Hey now. I'm Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. This week we have a special guest, and that is Alex. I don't have your last name in front of me. Is it Rudolph? Yeah, that's I need to go look perfect. it up. No, it's perfect. All right. Um, do you want to introduce yourself real quick and tell everybody why you're awesome and all that good stuff? Uh, sure. Uh, my name's Alex. Um, I'm a Ruby developer and have been for the last 10 years or so. Um, I maintain the Ruby OpenAI library. Um, and I also run a consultancy called Peace Terms. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that on your uh, uh, LinkedIn that you're renaming Rails AI to Peace Terms. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to railsai.com and it's still there. So is it just not redirected or? Um, well, I switched it because Rails is trademarked by DHH. Which right. Is fair enough. Although you can use it to write books. Um, and I'm probably going to write a book, I think, called Rails mm-hmm. AI. Um, Oh, there you go. You'll have to let us know when that's out. And yeah, I was looking at the Ruby AI gem as well. And um, now now I have my imposter syndrome running at high speed. Um, But uh, yeah, so you're doing consulting on pulling in some of these large language models for Rails apps. Um, and, And I'm trying to just imagine, you know, where you would use it and and just some of the places I've seen stuff like this is, um, for example, I've been using ClickFunnels lately and you can highlight a bit of text and you can tell it to rewrite it and stuff like that. I'm assuming that's something similar to that. And I've seen chatbots, but are there other things that people are doing with uh, the open AI style stuff? Yeah, so I've been consulting around this for just the last few months, really. Um, the main things I've seen so far uh chatbots um yeah kind of forms like you mentioned to generate copy or edit copy um but then like pipelines for kind of knowledge retrieval like people uploading pdfs and then you do embeddings around it um and then ask questions ask questions about that data um oh okay hang on so so what do you mean exactly so if i upload like a book or uh something like that then i can ask questions about it is that kind of what you're talking about yeah uh so the way it works is um you what you do is you you break all that data down into chunks um Uh then put that in a kind of a vector database um which is like a a number representation of that data Mm -hmm. um and open ai has a has an endpoint which will will convert that for you and then you can put that in the database and use it to quickly find the, the closest vector to a query. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry, so I interrupted quite... you. What, what else are people using this for then? <laughs> That's okay. Um, yeah, and then there's a lot of content generation. Like, it's, it's quite big in the education field. I think a lot of teachers... I find it useful for generating questions and things for their classes. And then there's quite a few startups um, kind of built around that. Um, Yeah, trying to sell to education um, based on AI. So this is something that, for example, I could 
take all of the transcripts of all the podcasts and feed that in there and then have it generate stuff for me. Uh, potentially, yeah. Yeah. Um, the thing is, um, yeah, I maintain the Ruby OpenAI gem. Um, but to be honest, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily like a AI expert. Um, like I can tell you a little bit about how I got into that. If that's yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, so back in 2020, um, it was like a lockdown in the UK and I was quite bored on the weekends and spending a lot of time on Hacker News, um, as I'm sure you guys do as well, probably. Um, and yeah, I saw that um, a user called GDB um, had posted that he worked at OpenAI um, and that they're releasing a new API and he was looking for people to try it out with his email address. Um, so I got, I got in touch um, and that was the CTO of OpenAI. Um, and he kind of gave me early access and I had this idea for a startup which would be kind of um, a way to sort of fill out um, sales questionnaires for government procurement using AI, which was, um, I don't know, an okay idea. But I realized that there was no library um, to make it easy to do that, to, to, to work with the OpenAI API. Um, so I ended up putting together a really basic gem to do that and release that. Um, and then I kind of, failed to continue with my startup idea um but gradually built up the the gem um and i just kept like contributing to it gradually at first i was the only user and then a few other people started using it and making requests and i'd add new new bits to it and it kind of snowballed from there um and i think now it's had over six million downloads um and it's it's quite widely used um including at some big big companies like Shopify and places like that. Um, but all, all the way through, I was just kind of wrapping the OpenAI API. Um, so I wouldn't say I'm necessarily like an AI expert. I'm more a Ruby AI wrapper expert. Yeah, I mean, you, you keep making that caveat, but the thing is, is that one of the beautiful things about the internet and the way that all of this stuff works is that I don't have to be an AI expert, right? I mean, it's fascinating and it's fun to dive into. But at the end of the day, you know, there's a, an API that I can hit that will do the thing. And then I get the result that I need mm-hmm. and I can build the app and, and it opens up another, a different level of creativity, right? The, the AI expertise takes a certain level of creativity. Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, don't sell yourself short because writing against this API and giving people the tools to kind of open up this world. That's very cool. Yeah, thank you. Um, one thing I'm finding is that everyone I talk to about this stuff says, oh, we're only doing something basic. Um, I, but I think everyone is so new to a lot of this AI stuff that they all feel like they're beginners. Um, I think one of the things I am really good at is writing documentation. And I think that was really important in the popularity of the library um, because I, I always tried to make sure everything was documented in the readme. And I tried to aim it so like a junior developer who's brand new would be able to just copy and paste a bit of code um, and use that. And I think that really contributed to the popularity of it because um, a lot of libraries have good documentation, but often you can copy some code and it won't quite work. And I think for junior developers, that can be quite difficult. Um, yeah, I will say I, I had a great 
time onboarding <laughs> to this gym. Oh, nice. uh, and it definitely, uh, definitely helped, uh, you know, even just thinking of like stability of, you know, the tools that you're using, like if, if something works right away as, as it's documented, like that's a great sign. <laughs> uh, awesome. Thank you. but you know, also like it, it's been pretty stable, you know, we've obviously this hasn't been a year yet, but it's coming close. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but every everything is still moving smooth, even though maybe the underlying uh, stuff isn't <laughs> <laughs> the shifting sands of OpenAI. But uh, yeah, I'm curious because you have quite a few other gems here, uh, you know, Midjourney and Anthropic and things like that, kind of that are still AI related. <laughs> Uh, I mean, have you have you been inspired by creating any of these things? Like, hey, maybe like here, here's something else cool that you can mm. do with this thing, and and you know, how are you going about like documenting your process? Mm. Um, to be honest, I've wanted to work in the AI area for a long time. Like when I was younger, I wanted to be a sci-fi writer, um, and I wrote a sci-fi novel. Um, oh, cool! Can I get my hands yeah. on that? Yeah, you can. Um, I can send you one, or you can find it on Amazon. It's called Inkers, I-N-K-E-R-S. Um, it's pretty pretty decent. Um, but I kind of wrote that and realized that I hate writing fiction. Um, I find it very painful. But a lot of that book is about AI and how AI is going to destroy the world, basically. Um, so I was like, oh, I, maybe I should get into, into that industry. Um, and I ended up going down this side path, kind of. Like, my first job was Rails. 3.2 or something and then I ended up enjoying that and doing that for 10 years but I think I've always had this thing where I wanted to work in the AI world um, and I just feel like this is an opportunity for me to do that um, yeah and I was able to get access to the Anthropic board um, and there was no gem for that so I made one um, and yeah I made one for Midjourney as well although Midjourney doesn't have an API yet which I don't really understand why that is um, so it's just kind of using some third-party service for now. Yeah, that's been one of my uh, pet peeves with all of this open or like large language model stuff. It's like it's kind of wild because everybody's adopting what OpenAI did for their API. So they it all matches. It's pretty much the same. Yeah. Some caveats, right? Like some differences uh, when it gets to the edges. But like for the most part, like everybody's vendor locked to this shape of the API, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is kind of wild. Uh, and so, like, I'm wondering, like, is there a happy medium where, like, because there are services out there, like, uh, you know, Helicone or, or uh, Open Router or something like that, where you can, like, use a bunch of models using the same mm. interface. Uh, I mean, is there opportunity here? Like, the tooling is so new, especially in the Ruby world. Uh, like, is there opportunity here to, like, you know, consolidate some of this stuff? Uh and have you been thinking about that in, into your uh, gems? Yeah, I've thought about it a few times. I think my thing has always been to do one thing really well, or as well, well as I can. Um, like people have asked, could it support maybe other LLMs, other APIs? But I don't think I have the capacity as a volunteer necessary to do that at the standards I would want to. Um, I do think the space is changing so quickly and that especially with open source models, um, even ones you can run on your own machine, um, I, I do think they're going to become more and more popular, especially regarding cost. Like a lot of my clients 
want to spin up their own LLMs just to save money on the on the open AI calls, oh. which which makes sense to me. Um, but yeah, I guess maybe a unified API would be good. But I don't know. There's there's Langchain Langchain RB, which is a cool gem. Um, Andre Bondarov makes, um, which does bring a lot of different LLMs together. Um, so uh, I'm going to divert things a little bit here because I'm curious about what you said as far as people wanting to set up their own LLMs. Um, so does Ruby OpenAI not do that? Is that something I'd need to use a different system for? And how would I do that? Yeah, it doesn't really. Um, it's not something I've done that much myself or at all, really. Um, you, you can provide... Um, a different like base URL to Ruby OpenAI. So if you want to use Azure, um, or you could use a different different source. But it's not something I have any experience of, really. Um, this is what I'm saying about not really being a ML expert that much. But it, it's likely something I'm going to be getting into soon. Yeah, I've yeah. been hard pressed to find a Ruby <laughs> uh, Ruby version of something you can build locally uh, for these open source models. It's all it's all Python, which hopefully that changes. Yeah, maybe I should make one. Yeah, we did a book club book on all the <clears throat> machine learning tools out there. And it was in Python. But mm. yeah, there's a lot of really, really interesting stuff going on out there in the machine learning world in general. I don't think most of these really there was mostly like classification and stuff. It wasn't machine it wasn't LLMs, but still. Mm. Yeah, it'd be fascinating to just kind of see how that comes together. Um so you would just you would go and use some tool that allows you to feed data into your LLM and then have it build your model for you? Uh, potentially, yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, like I said, you didn't sound really, sure. I've not really played with that that much. So. Okay, <laughs> that's the thing. A lot of people think I'm an expert in machine learning, which is really nice. Um, and like I, you know, I'm gradually becoming more of an expert, I guess. But yeah, I've just not done that. So yeah. yeah. I, th- I think probably my main area of interest at the moment is really accessibility for people and like how to make a library that is really useful to the most amount of people, how to manage burnout in like maintaining an open source library. Um, I'm not sure if you guys have maintained open source libraries before, um, but that, that can be quite, quite a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've, I've learned quite a few things about that. Um, yeah, I'm curious. Yeah. I wanted to bring up because I, I have been following the library pretty closely because I've been adopting it quite a lot. <laughs> mm. uh, and, and so like there have been some transitions, kind of big ones uh, in the library that may be helpful to walk through like how that all played out, because a lot of people aren't familiar with, you know, running a, an open source project, even a you know mildly successful one. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm curious, like how that process kind of goes. Uh, because, I mean, I've joined the, you have a Discord server, which has been great. Uh, oh, cool. Just getting feedback, you know, from, from everybody before you submit. Like, that's one of the biggest downsides of GitHub issues, in my opinion, is, like, you ask a question, and then there's just, like, this long form, like, back and forth, which it can be nice. But when you're trying to, like, just gauge whether something is even, you know, worthwhile to do, it's, like, kind of like a waste of time, to be honest. Whereas, like, yeah. if you just join a chat, and you're like, is this something you want to do? You just say no. And like, that's it. And then it drops off the history, right? Like, you don't have yeah. to close it. There's no cleanup. Like, you know. <laughs> uh, so 
so that's been great. But like, uh, so as an example, uh, you know, uh, under lie under the hood, you had, uh, you know, kind of been, just been using like, uh, I forget some Ruby HTTP library. I forget which one it was. Uh, and then yeah. you made a, a pretty pivotal change to like Faraday. Uh, and I think that was to support streaming uh, yeah. requests. Uh, and so like, how does a, a transition like that work from like an owner of the re- repository, right? Like, how do you decide you want to do that? And then do you just make the decision and go with it and hope that it doesn't break for everybody? Like, how mm-hmm. does that whole thing work out? Yeah, that has definitely been a learning curve for me. I, I think it helped that the library did grow quite gradually in popularity. So early on, there was no one except me using it. And then there were just a few core users who actually contributed a lot, but that was very manageable. Like, And they were all quite good and yeah, kind of expert developers, a lot of them a lot smarter than me, a lot better developers than me. Um, I think what I've always tried to do is follow demand. So if someone requests something, I don't do it straight away. Like I'll try and hear from other people, wait for more people to demand that, even sometimes wait for people to like angrily demand changes. Because then it's like, okay, then you know there's really a problem and they, they really need need something. Um, and after that, yeah, try and ask for PRs from people who are better developers than me. Um, often there'll be like two main PRs for a big change, different people have done, and that can be really good for like comparing the advantages and disadvantages. Yeah, switching to Faraday, that was probably the biggest decision. Um, again, I, I always try and prioritize usability and I want to make it as easy as possible for junior developers to use. Um, and Faraday seems like probably the widest used HTTP library, maybe the best documented, um, the most flexible. We looked at some other ones like Typhus, Typhus um, which could have had some advantages in terms of performance. Um, but yeah, in the end, I settled on that one. I think it's important not to get into arguments, really. Like, I definitely take as much input as I can. Um, but in the end, I need to make a decision. Um, and then, you know, there's no point arguing, really. Like, other people are free to make forks, which plenty of people do. Um, um, yeah. And I try and limit breaking changes as much as possible, kind of bundle them together. Um, although we're already on version six now, so there's been quite a few at this point. Um, but still, I, I try to really limit breaking changes. Um, yeah, I, I really like, I think testing is very important as well. Um, there's a good test suite, I use BCR. And before I do any release, I, I um, run the test suite against the live API to make sure everything works. And I have a kind of test project that I test the gem in as well um, because I don't want to break it for thousands of people. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's really funny you mentioned that because of how difficult it is to, to kind of test <laughs> these stupid tech streams. Uh, for, for one, uh, I guess kind of just like the lack of ubiquitous support in general for them. Uh, but two, they're just like, they're spotty, right? Like you could have something like start and then just wait and <laughs> hang there for a little and then come back with something that maybe it shouldn't, uh, you know, at times. Um, but the, the protocol itself, you know, works as expected, but you know, the response doesn't, <laughs> uh, and so yeah. how do you, how do you kind of like 
you just keep adding tests as they come up kind of thing? Or, or is, there, is there kind of just like, a, all right, we're not going to add any more like conditions to this. Like if it breaks at those edges, like, you know, that's not really our problem. Um, I try and add a good amount of tests for confidence. Um, but yeah, stuff like around streaming and SSE and stuff. Um, fortunately, I had some really good Shopify engineers do some contributions recently. Um, guy called Atas, um, and he made like a separate gem to help with SSE parsing, which I just didn't really understand properly. I think, and that solved a lot of problems <laughs> with it. So, I think just leaning on better developers than you and knowing when to accept their contributions is is really important. Like you, you can't test, you can't write aspect tests for the edge cases at all. That's just to make sure I'm not breaking anything too important. I think. Um, yeah, and then always doing a manual check just to make sure it does actually work. Yeah, that's fair. And I mean, it kind of brings me to my next point, like kind of the lack of tooling available for this specific kind of, uh, I guess, behavior. <laughs> uh, it's like, you know, in the Ruby, it's it's kind of like a different way to program Ruby uh, in a way, right? Where uh, mm. it's, a, it's a lot of async stuff, but not necessarily, it's still like synchronous. Uh, and so uh, it does take a kind of a bit different, like because there's so long of a request, right, for a lot of things. Like mm-hmm. let's say, you know, you want to break down a file, if you want to do Q&A on something, like there's a whole bunch of front loading you have to do to make sure that's indexable, right? And mm-hmm. there's like long processes involved in a lot of this stuff. And so latency obviously is a huge issue if you're not doing it right. Uh, and so I, I don't know, it's been hard for... <laughs> for me as a Ruby developer to kind of like grapple with all of the, the different ways that you kind of have to frame your thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you found that this is like a, a common pattern and like, are there any like tools to help like reason about it better? Yeah, I actually built one this week for a client. Um, if, if you're talking, yeah, about kind of judging the quality of the responses you're getting back from the LLM, um, because yeah, I think that is a new paradigm. Because in a way, there's a lot of different correct answers that you, that you could get back um, from the LLM. So that's quite, that's quite different to writing software where you want to get the same thing back every time, obviously. Um, right. But I, the tool I built, um, there, there's various ones. OpenAI has their own one called the Evals, um, which is a way of Python. using. <laughs> it's Python, yeah. I think there is a Ruby implementation, but I think in Langchain there is. But I I just built my own structure this week to sort of run a bunch of the inputs that we know we want to run with a fixed set of data um, to to kind of just test the quality of the responses, and it and it and it and it just uses ChatGPT to kind of give a grade. Um, of how good that that response is. So I, I think there is a huge tooling gap there, to be honest. I think all this stuff is so new and developing so fast, but I think as a community, we will need to come up with tools, probably using AI to test the AI, if you see what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> That's really funny. Somebody just posted in a, uh, one of our channels today. Uh, it was like an internet... Uh, meme of like uh, you know oh AI I, I'm the latest AI and you know I 
fully understand, you know, and can outperform humans. Uh, and, you know, humans uh, interacting with me is like, you know, a human in- interacting with a chicken. And then it's like, now I'm looking up how humans treat chickens. <laughs> so I can better <laughs> interface with you. <laughs> um, yeah. I've got to be honest, having worked with these LLMs quite a bit, I'm not currently too worried about them taking over the world. Um, I'm just not at the moment. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I think they're powerful tools, but... There's still so much hand-holding. <laughs> yeah, they just get so much wrong, and humans still have all the power. We hold all the keys and all that. Um, so what's your next step here? Uh, you know, I just foresee another gem coming out, uh, you know. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> you, you've got to have something in the works, right? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, yeah. I do really like making gems. Maybe, maybe one around testing the quality of the feedback you're getting could be cool. Um, but also, they do take quite a lot of time to maintain. So, and yeah, trying to start this consulting business at the same time. Maybe I should focus on that. What is that balance like? I mean, I've I've worked for a consultancy before. I haven't run my own, <laughs> and it it, it is a, a lot of work, you know, just finding clients. I, I know that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, how, how do you find the balance for like you know, clients searching for clients, working for clients, and then also like supporting all your open source work, right? Like, mm. uh, are you finding like a good groove now, or is there just like a never ending? You know, I gotta weigh one over the other at any moment. Um, yeah, that's been a challenge. To be honest, um, I've got a really good funnel. Um, like quite a lot of people use Ruby OpenAI, um, and I, I have a that little advert in there. Yeah, people can click to see my website. Um, and I've spent a bit of time building a bit of a Twitter slash X profile as well, um, kind of in the Ruby community and Discord. So actually, I have a good funnel. Um, and I think because people see my work on Ruby OpenAI, they trust me um, you know, enough to have a conversation with. Um, so that that part is good. Um, yeah, I'm trying to figure out the model for delivering. Like, I've been doing something called a productized dev service where people pay pay a flat rate every month, um, and then I I kind of try and do as much work as I can for each client. Um, but I start I started off charging really cheap, like five hundred dollars a month, and had seven clients. Um, yeah, that nearly killed me. Um, I kind of like came out in hives, which I've never had from stress <laughs> um but yeah that was, that was stupid <laughs> but a lot of people warned me that that was not a good idea but i'm quite stubborn with things like that um so i've now reduced my clients down to four and raised my prices quite a lot um which is working a lot better um yeah honestly i love doing open source work and i'd love to do that for a living i think um but yeah it doesn't pay that well financially speaking. Um, although it is very worthwhile doing open source work, like the feedback I get from a lot of people is really nice, um, mostly. Um, and that's really, really rewarding. Um, yeah, it was great to see, uh, what was it, Ruby Central finally uh, getting a, a, a heavy sponsor, AWS backing the uh, Ruby Gems, uh, you know, full-time security oh, really? engineer. I didn't see that. Uh, so that, yeah. So, I mean, it's it's possible. It's starting to get there. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I, I know, I know Amazon that they surprisingly do. Uh, you know, they just bankroll a bunch of open source people to make sure 
stay secure enough for all of their different services, which is kind of funny. Uh, but hopefully that expands more because uh, we could certainly use more of it in Ruby for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's there's those memes about all these huge corporations just sort of running on the back of just these like gems that are developed by some random guy mm-hmm. like me. <laughs> but there there is some some truth to that, I think. Um, well, so you that Amazon that Shopify you know, is just... using your stuff, and they're yes. what a billion and a half dollar company or something. So yeah, yes, they are. Yeah. Dear, dear um, Shopify uh, sponsor <laughs> Alex. <laughs> <laughs> right yeah i i would welcome sponsorship from major corporations that would be cool yeah definitely get some of that shopify money <laughs> it's funny that shopify's come up because i literally signed up for shopify yesterday so hmm. anyway <laughs> i'm interested what you guys think about um ruby in general like I listened to one of your older episodes today about is Ruby dying from like 2016 or something. Um, and everyone's like, no, it's not. Um, I do wonder like Python seems to be kind of in the lead, especially in the AI world. Um, like I love Ruby and I love writing it and working in it. So I guess that's why I'm quite committed to it. But yeah. I've got a lot of opinions here. <laughs> yeah, same. Um, I think we should probably keep it somewhat to, you know, futuristic or future looking technologies like AI. Okay. Um, you know, as far as the opinions go, just because I I do want to kind of keep it on topic, but yeah, it's, it's kind of an interesting place, you know, and you've kind of, I, I think you've, your website's Rails AI. And so, you know, we kind of get into that too. And Rails, I think has made some major strides in, becoming or uh, remaining relevant. And so, you know, pulling in, you know, Ruby OpenAI or something else that allows you to connect to some of these APIs and things like that. Um, And I think this is the same in general for things like Node.js and whatever, is if you can connect to something that will do what you need or you can use an open source thing that will do what you need, um, then it doesn't, it it matters less and less and less what your primary language is. Mm. So then it's just a matter of, you know, what's the right tool for the job, right? And so, you know, to the point that I made earlier, um, if we're talking about, you know, AI and whether or not we should have imposter syndrome around building our own AI engines and whether or not we're doing that in Ruby, it may not matter. Right. What may matter is is that we can pull in what we need. We can get the models built that we need. We don't have to be complete experts in the soup to nuts implementation. And right. And so then we can write the logic that makes sense to write in Ruby. And then yeah, if you go down the the line to get into ML ops or things like that, you know, data munging and all that stuff, then yeah, you may wind up doing some of that in Python. Um, which I don't know that that's a bad thing. Um, I think in my world, yeah, I'd prefer to do it in Ruby, but you know, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't think it's going to be as big a deal as people make it out to be, unless you're in the thick of building your models yourself. So, as far as the rest of it goes, 
you know, again, it's just what where the utilities are for what you're trying to use it for. And so, you know, Rails, like I said, has made major strides forward in in being a relevant option going forward in, on web development. And, mm. you know, Ruby continues to, you know, innovate and, you know, gain speed and concurrency and things like that in areas that matter to people who are trying to build stuff with it. So I think the future for it is looks good. Mm. Yeah, I'd yeah, agree. I agree. I agree with that too. I mean, I would add on, like, I liken this whole wave, like, kind of to some of the earlier Ruby tooling, where, as an example, like, build tooling didn't exist before Rake, right, for Ruby. And then Jim Werrick made Rake, and then build tooling was just like possible, and so many things happened. Uh, and we, we kind of haven't seen like machine learning get adopted on a mass scale kind of like some of this other tooling is uh and we are seeing quite a lot more like machine learning specific ruby stuff come out now that people are getting more involved and they're like well i want to do this in ruby how do we make that happen kind of thing uh and i have a feeling we'll start to see a new wave uh come about from that and i think it's really just a matter of time uh because of the you know, you mentioned like user experience uh, in your gems, like that's true of the language itself. So like, you know, yeah, people, there are plenty of tools available in Python. People will use Python until they don't want to use it anymore, right? Mm. Uh, and, you know, if if you start to like, if you're a Rubyist and like you're familiar with all of the benefits of using Ruby as a language, uh, you know, just making some new tooling can drastically change your lifestyle. Uh, if you're familiar with it, right? Uh, and so I, I think we'll see a lot more of that start to pan out. And uh, that's where I think. I mean, I don't, Ruby is by far not dead. <laughs> I, I have I have had a job for quite a long time and still, you know, see plenty of open availability in Ruby. Uh, that's kind of how I gauge it personally. But like, uh, you know, I think it's just a matter of preference at this point. And, you know, the tooling is really not that far of a gap. So like, yeah, there's more in Python, but like Python's still missing a lot too, you know? So, yeah. Well, you know, going, going into the use case thing again, I mean, you see people, you know, a lot of the machine learning stuff's done in like Jupyter notebooks and things like that. Um, where if you get a really large model, Jupyter is no longer really a good option, but if you're playing around, it works really nice. Um, that said, you don't see people building big apps in Django. I mean, you they, they're out there, but not like what you're seeing people do in Rails, right? Um, you know, and then depending on what people are building, yeah, I, you know, our biggest show on top-end devs is JavaScript Jabber, and a lot of people are doing stuff in Next and things like that. But again, there are some things where it's just really nice to have a solid, well-built back-end that does kind of the minimal amount of stuff and then makes the other stuff easy. Hmm. And I think Rails nails that. And so I think it is a case-by-case basis and then making the right call on what technology you use. Yeah, I will say that. Hmm. You, you can also run Ruby on Jupyter Notebooks. Really? <laughs> oh, really? Using using uh, CyRuby's uh, iRuby uh, kernel. Uh, it's, it's pretty huh. great. Hmm. I'll have to check that out. 
Yeah, I definitely agree with you guys. I think there is right now this big gap in between the APIs and the LLMs and the business um, end of things. And I think Ruby and Rails is a really good language for business logic um, and for quickly building prototypes for business. So I definitely see a future for Rails mm -hmm. and AI. But I would say that. Yeah. Well, the other thing is, is that the things that make Python really good for some of this stuff, there's no reason why we couldn't build a lot of those functions and features into a Ruby library that we then import. And so, you know, where you have SciPy and the, I can't remember the math Python library, but, you know, you've got those, those pieces and they basically build down to a C or, you know, other implementation. I don't see why you couldn't do a, Ruby FFI to Rust or, or C or C++ and then make it work. The thing is, is that it would take a lot of work to get that done. And I know some people have started some of that work, but, you know, we're, we're a ways out from having it in Ruby where they already have it in Python. 100%. So, Alex, I'm kind of curious. You... I think I saw something on LinkedIn that said that you'd picked up like four clients. I don't know how much you can tell us about what you're doing for them, but I'd really like to get an idea of, okay, what are people paying consultants for to get AI into their apps? So as much as you can tell us, what can you tell us? Uh, yeah, I can sort of tell broad strokes um, because I've had quite a few clients as well over the past few months. Um, and a lot of people, um, want to build forms that their users can put answers to questions in and then that gets sent to OpenAI with a prompt mm -hmm. and then it comes back. That, that's it really. Like it, it's not basic, but it's quite simple. Um, and then there's, yeah, there's the more advanced stuff, which is like kind of data pipelines for knowledge retrieval. Um, it's probably the other big use case. Um, it really feels like people are just trying to figure out the best way to use this stuff. Like it's clear that there's a lot of value. Um, and mm -hmm. to be honest, I, I do think that within like three or four years, most apps will have some LLM either embedded in them or they'll be having been calls out to an API. That kind of seems inevitable to me now, but it's just so early and we're just kind of figuring out how to do that in a good, safe way um, that adds value to the user. Um, it doesn't just annoy them. You know, like a lot of the chat chatbots that we've had over, over the years just basically annoy people, it seems like. Um, <laughs> yeah. How do we not do that? So a couple of things I'm just going to ask you in a little more detail. So, um, and I'm just kind of scrolling through the uh, OpenAI gem. You know, so it looks like chat's one of the functions here. You kind of mentioned that, right? It's, hey, ask a question and it formulates it into a prompt and then gets it back, you know, gets back a response and, right, you, you send it through. Um, it looks like you can also have it do some kind of like uh, identifying stuff in images. You can have it uh, generate images. Mm -hmm. are, are you in any of that stuff or are you mostly in? You can also have it like transcribe. Ooh, that's cool. Makes me kind of. <laughs> I'm always looking for new ways to do stuff with the podcast. But yeah, so the <laughs> the speech to text, 
So yeah, so those kinds of things. Are you doing anything with those or is it mostly just kind of on the chat level? Um, it's almost all text and embeddings, okay. the work I'm doing. Um, the the ability to identify things in images, that's only come out in the last month or so, I think. Okay. Um, so that's quite new. I think that's so powerful, um, especially from an accessibility point of view. Um, I think that's a really big deal. Um, but yeah, I've not seen it used that widely with my colleagues. Okay. Have, but have the image generation, to, yeah, but that people use people tend to use that for decoration more than uh -huh. you know. So, so just kind of putting a nice image at the top, something like that, in, in what I've seen. Um, but the right. the audio, um, kind of text to speech is so good. I don't know if you tried that, it's so good. Um, it's surprising, I haven't, it was, a, it was a lot faster than I thought. It would be, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right now, I'm using Cast Magic, okay. so I'm I'm paying for. I have to pay for. I I got a lifetime deal, but we have so many shows that I had to pay for extra minutes. Mm -hmm. So I'm just kind of curious how that would go. I'm also curious how much it costs because don't you have to pay for your access to the OpenAI APIs? Yeah, so you pay for tokens or per request. And is it that expensive or I'm just curious? Um, for transcribing text, I wouldn't think it's too expensive. It, it tends to get more expensive if you're sending really big chunks of text a lot. Okay. Um, which can happen pretty easily if you're not careful working with text. Right. But uh, I could, for example, yeah, just upload. Uh, I guess that would be a big chunk because our audio files get kind of large sometimes. Could be worth a try. Yeah. Well, the thing that I'm imagining is that it'd be really nice to be able to have my team effectively upload the audio file and then have it just generate all the stuff. So generate the transcript, generate some show notes, you know, anyway. Yeah, sounds like a cool project. Cool. Uh, I, I did see through the uh, the gems pull request that some of the agent stuff, the new agent stuff, has uh, gotten into the gem already. Have you had a chance to like play around with any of that yet, or uh, you know, is, is there anything worthwhile in there? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think it's probably the future of the API. To be honest, um, I think it is very new. And um, what I've used so far. Like you can give it files, you can make an assistant, give it files, and it will do embeddings on them on the OpenAI side, I think. Um, and then you can ask questions about them. Um, I think right now it can probably... I'm not too sure, but I think it could be quite expensive. Um, but I suspect that will change very quickly. Um, yeah, I, I, I think kind of... OpenAI kind of combining features together like that is probably the future. Um, and I suspect we'll end up with more APIs that can do multimodal um, input and output like that. Um, yeah, it seems very powerful. Yeah, I'm just, <laughs> I'm waiting for the day where it can just like figure it out for me. <laughs> yeah. I, I point it at a database and say, okay, use this as reference, like find what you need. <laughs> Yeah, but maybe it'll be able to do that, but it'll cost you $20 per 
per request or something. <laughs> yeah, for the first year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool. Well, if there's nothing else to dive into, let's let's tackle some picks. Valentino, you got some picks? Yes. I did have a pick here. I'm uh, not finding it. <laughs> uh, let's see. What, what have I been up to lately? Um, oh, yeah. I guess I got a new uh, a Mac Mini and, and started creating a, uh, a media server out of it with Plex, which was really nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, Plex is fantastic. You just throw a bunch of files at it and it like makes sense of it and makes a nice UI and uh, magically makes it available to all the devices in the house on the same network. So that that has been a, a lot of fun and pretty painless, which is not something I'm used to with uh, media sharing. So uh, that could be my pick is, uh, you know, just get a tiny little Mac mini and throw Plex on there. Very cool. Yeah, a bunch of my neighbors have it set up and I have a Mac mini on the other desk that I, I put Plex on it and I wanted to like rip all of our DVDs onto it. And that's just not been something I've gotten to. So it's cool stuff for sure. We've got a couple of picks here. I usually do a board game pick. And so um, I'm going to go ahead and throw out a pick for a board game that I've played recently. Um, I'm trying to remember what we played two weeks ago. Last week was weird and this week was weird and so we didn't get together me and my buddies um but have i picked uh happy little dinosaurs uh, i don't think so happy little dinosaurs is a game it's um it's a pretty simple game it's not one that i would play with other adults it's actually uh one that i play with my kids and um my um what it is is you so it's it's the apocalypse for the dinosaurs right so you have different uh catastrophes that are coming so you have meteors and you've got like red blue and green catastrophes and the red blue and green catastrophes um so you have your hand of cards and you play a number face down and then you flip it over and some of the cards have effects. And so it's like swap numbers with another player, or swap two players numbers or play another card or something like that. Right. And so you, you, you play all that out and then whoever has the highest or the lowest number at the end gets the catastrophe. And so then they put it on their card and um, whoever played the highest number, they move up that many spots on the score tracking on their card. And if you get, um three of a kind or three of all three different kinds and the meteors are wilds then you're out and so if you're either the last man standing or you're the first one to get all the way up the scorecard it's just a little track on your card uh you win and um anyway so you just do that round after round after round takes about a half hour to play um and i would play it with um my kids like I said, you know, I have an eight-year-old and I think she'd enjoy that. Um, trying to look it up on Board Game Geek, I think the weight was like 1.3. That's not it. It's made by the people who made Unstable Unicorns, if you've played that. Um, let's see, 1.38. So yeah, like I said, real easy. Um, 
we've played it with three or four people. It seems like the more players you have, the better. Um, but yeah, so I'm going to pick Happy Little Unicorns. And then um, the other thing I'm going to pick, I guess I have two more picks and then a shameless self-promotion that I won't take too long on. So the other pick that I have um, is uh, my wife and I went and saw a movie on Monday. And so we went and saw Sound of Freedom and we they had this QR code to pay it forward and you buy the tickets for somebody else to go see. Um, Sound of Freedom. And the, because we did that, they sent us free tickets to their next movie, which is called The Shift. And The Shift is kind of a sci-fi dystopian future movie. And uh, I don't want to spoil too much of it. Um, but effectively, um, you figure out pretty early that, that uh, this guy is basically pulled from one reality in the multiverse to another. And he he desperately wants to get back to his wife, uh, who's the love of his life. And, you know, and so he's, you know, but he stood up to the the bad guy. And so the bad guy wants him to pay for it. And so anyway, so it's got all that going on. It was really, really, really good movie. I I really liked it as much as Sound of Freedom kind of pulls at your heartstrings and, you know, gets you that emotional response because you just can't stand to see those kids trafficked. I liked this movie better. So, and, and this one's not got the social agenda to it as much, right? Um, of course, this one was also made by Angel Studios, where Sound of Freedom was acquired by Angel Studios and made by Fox Entertainment. So, they are different flavors of movies. But anyway, really, really good. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to pick that. Um, let me see if I can find a link to that. And then um, the last pick I have is. I am starting up the premium stuff for Ruby Rose. So the first thing that I'm going to just shout out about is you can get the premium version of Ruby Rogues, or you will be able to buy this weekend as we record this. So it'll be out by the time you hear it. Um, just go to rubyrogues.com slash premium or topendevs.com slash podcast slash ruby dash rogues slash premium. Um, and you'll be able to sign up. It's going to be... Through the end of December, it's going to be $5 a month. After that, it goes to $9 a month. And um, what you get is you get all the episodes in uh, without the ads in them. So you can get them on our app, which is also going to be coming out. Or you can get them uh, in a, an RSS feed. And you'll get an email that when you sign up. You'll get the email that says, hey, here's your private RSS feed. Don't share it. Blah, blah, blah. Um, and... So you'll be able to get it. And then um, the the other thing that I'm doing is I'm starting up Rails Clips. And that's gonna, it's kind of like Rails Casts. Uh, so I'm going to be putting out a video or two every week. And the thing I want to do different from a lot of the others is I'm going to build an app. And so you'll get the uh, at least the highlights of me building an app in Rails. Okay, I'm adding this feature. I'm pulling in this gem. We're going to put this together. Hey, I ran into this um, hang up and it's going to write. So um, we'll walk through all of that and get all that stuff together. You can get that at railsclips.com. And then the next level is Rails Geniuses. And each of these includes the previous. So Rails Geniuses includes Rails Clips and Ruby Rogues Premium. 
Um, oh, Ruby Rogues Premium also includes a call every month where we talk about these episodes were the ones that you liked. These ones were the ones you didn't. These, these are the things you want to learn more about. Um, I'm going to try and get the hosts to, to be on that call too. So I'll try and get Dave and Valentino. But if they can't make it, then I'll be on and we'll, you know, but that way we can get you more of the guests you want, more of the topics you want. Uh, but you have to be a paid member in order to get access to that. So Rails Gen- or Ruby Geniuses is uh, for the people who want kind of that quasi-weekly call. So we're going to do like breakout rooms and networking session one week. And then we'll have, maybe we'll have Alex come and actually walk us through using OpenAI. Or we'll have, uh, you know, somebody come on and say, hey, it might be me, right? This is how I'm doing the deploys with Kamal, right? Or, you know, whatever. And so you will have something that's more kind of a presentation. And then we'll also have like an open Q&A, you know, and maybe I'll bring in another expert. You know, maybe we'll get, you know, somebody from Test Double or Evil Martians or something come on and answer questions. We're going to do at least three calls a week. The plan right now is to do three calls a week. Um, and we may add in a fourth or the other thing I'm looking at doing is if you're a member of any of the genius setups, cause I'm also doing react and JavaScript, then the, the fourth week will be a more of a career week, right? So it'll be, here's how you launch your podcaster. Here's how you grow your podcaster. Here's how you, uh, here's how you reach out to people and get to know them. Or here's what you would, I would do during the networking sessions the next time we have one or, Um, you know, here's how I would do a blog. Here's how I would get involved in an open source project, right? Things that are going to raise your public profile or help you meet new people or know what to learn next. So those are the kinds of things that are going to go on on those other weeks. Um, So so that's what we're looking at. Uh, That's going to be at rubygenius.com. So anyway, you can go check out any of those levels and see what makes the most sense to you. Um, All of those are basically going to be about half off through the end of the year. And then I'm going to raise the price to normal price. And if you get in after that, it's still going to be worth it, but you could have gotten a better deal. So anyway, that that's what I'm working on. Alex, what are your picks? Um, so I have two. Uh, one is the Ruby AI Builders Discord, um, which is a cool place where we discuss Ruby and AI. And Valentino, I think you're already on there, like you said. Um, but yeah, it's I just joined and- in. Oh, thank you. Um, and yeah, you occasionally see some Ruby celebrities on there, like you guys and a couple of others. Um, and yeah, my other pick would be Andre Bondarev's um, Langchain RB gem. Um, it's a little bit newer than Ruby OpenAI, um, but it's in a way it's a lot more ambitious because it's trying to bring together all the different AI APIs and do a lot of different things. Um, check it out. Um, it's got got. Um, a lot of different toolings um, and it's growing quite fast, I think. So I'll, I'll put the link in the chat to the Discord and that gem. And that's my picks. Awesome. All right. One last question. If people want to connect with you online, where do they find you? Uh, best place is um, on Twitter or X uh, forward slash uh, Alex Rudol. I will put that in the chat because it is hard to spell. That's me. Thank you. Awesome. Well, this has been really fun. And uh, now I have a whole bunch of stuff that I don't have time to play with that I'm going to wind up playing with. So, um, yeah, thanks for coming. Thank you so much for having me. It was a real pleasure. Thank you both. All right. Till next time, folks. Max out. <laughs>